1: Thank you, choir. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for our instrumentalists, for the work they put in, for the way they bless us and prompt us in worship. And week after week, we hear that kind of thing. Uh, You have been spoiled. (laughs) After I retired, Kay and I went to many different churches Uh, We were actually looking for one we could join so that we would be away from here and out of the hair of the preacher. Uh, You could have solved that by getting a bold preacher, but you didn't do that. (laughs) But we didn't find a place where we could worship effectively. We found two or three pastors that we were comfortable with, We found no music that we were comfortable with, and when we came back here, of course, uh, was after you had called our dear friend uh, Jim Spivey and Beverly to be our pastor and wife, and it has been a delight to be able to be here. I do not take lightly the summons to the propner's box to speak periodically. I'm grateful that Jim is so kind to invite me now and again, except I always dread it whenever he does because that means I've got to get ready again and that you've heard everything I've got to say at least twice. (laughs) I didn't go down simply because I love to look at the choir when they are singing and Brother Ben is leading them. I do love that, but I didn't think they should be punished by having to look at the hole in my haircut and being distracted from behind while I was uh, sitting up here. I've not gotten at my age to where I enjoy climbing up and down those steps. If I had my way, we'd have a dozen different rails along here that helped you get up and down. I do take this privilege, though, with a deep sense of gratitude and sense of responsibility and I want to begin by reading a short passage of Scripture together, I invite you to stand to reverence the reading of the Word of God. I'm reading from 2 Timothy, chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. I'll come back to reference verse 7, but verse 8 says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, His prisoner, But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light Through the gospel and of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher that is why I am suffering as I am yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day this is the word of God you may be seated this is a powerful little paragraph that begins with a double negative injunction, really. Uh, I didn't really say that right. It's a double negative injunction. It's not a double negative, really. It's a double negative injunction, uh, a command telling us what not to do, and ends with a cry of exultation, exalting faith, really. Now, the negative injunctions, there are two of them. One picks up verse 7. Verse 7 says, God didn't give us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and self discipline. There's a passage in Roman that reads somewhat like this God didn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear. I read many years ago Roy Angel saying, I know this is what it says, but what it really means is not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It means I'm proud of the gospel. And I kind of like that positive spin on it. It is indeed a spirit of pride in the gospel that God has now given to us. So he says, uh, picking up on verse 7, be not ashamed to testify about our Lord. And then the second one, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. That is that take away that sense of timidity about barging into folks' lives to share with them the good news of Christ. You would barge into their lives to tell them their house is on fire. You'd barge into their lives to tell them that the bridge ahead is out, or any of those kinds of things. This is at least that serious. It is much more important that we move into their lives without shame and express to them the fact that jesus christ has died to make them right with god he has accomplished the work that god sent him to do it is a magnificent story that you and i have to tell to share it now i know that there are ways not to do it Uh, there are ways that we can barge into folks lives and be obnoxious Uh, i had a friend once whose dad was arguing with him about scripture he was of another faith, and my friend was trying to deal with him. And, and, and his dad said, but the Bible says that you shall be a peculiar people. And his son said, you got that down right. You do a great job in that area. Well, God doesn't call us to be obnoxious, all of those kinds of things. But he does call us to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ to say it with pride. We used to sing a song about not being ashamed to be a Christian. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. We used to sing that little chorus and I liked it because of the message it gave, a responsibility to be proud about the fact that Jesus Christ has redeemed you, saved you, that you are his child, and this is how it happened. Many of you have been through Uh, Continuing Witness Training, which is the child of EE, it's the same thing, basically, dumbed down a little bit, but it's the same thing. It really is a way of sharing the gospel, but it teaches a lot of wonderful things about the gospel and about how to share it, to become friends with folks, to introduce yourself to folks in a special way, to show an interest in them, because you're very concerned about their relationship with God. So tell the gospel story, that's what he's saying. Tell the gospel story, don't be ashamed of it, and celebrate the family ties. Don't be ashamed of me, one who is a prisoner because I'm doing the work of Christ. Don't be ashamed of the fact that I'm in prison. He's not saying don't be fearful to recommend me to other churches or that kind of thing. He's saying don't be ashamed of the fact that I am in prison Because I love Jesus Christ and I faithfully tell his story. It's what is expected. He is the prisoner for Christ. He is in prison because he is with Christ. He keeps reminding Timothy that, that his bonds are a function of his love for Jesus. He moves from that to a very positive exhortation. And it seems a kind of strange one to us. Join me in suffering for the gospel. He says, by the power of God, uh, he suffers for the gospel. It is God who has called him to his position. It is God who has given him what to say. It is God who has allowed the things to occur that have occurred to him, and sometimes they've brought suffering into his life. The word God, just when he mentions God, it triggers some very special things in Paul's mind. It's one of those key words that uh, triggers him for a series of declarations god and he can't say that word it seems without describing one or the or two attributes of god that are rather remarkable god who saved us and called us to a holy life it is not a preacher who saved you it's not the one who shared the gospel though we are told that the feet are beautiful of those who come bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is God who has saved us. He has paid the price to redeem us. He has sent his only son that we might be saved and know the joy of everlasting life. He points out this process of God saving us and calling us into this special responsibility of sharing the grace of God. He says, not because of anything we've done to merit this that's always been a problem with the gospel it's, it's free it's something that's given to you it's not that it didn't cost God anything but it, it just you, causes you a response to it you're like the workman who has put in his, his week's labor and he goes to pick up his paycheck he doesn't beg for it he's given it because he has earned it but this is, this is different this is something God has earned for you, and you get it as an act of grace. It is free. If, if we were to allow all of the... As many people are in this room that we bring in from outside, people who are not affiliated with any church, if we were to allow them in here, and we would, but if we were to say to them, "Now I want you to tell me how one can be right with God. If they have not heard the gospel, they will make it a matter of merit every time. You stop the man on the street and say, how do you get to be right with God? How will you get into heaven? Most of them will reply, I try to treat my neighbor the way I'd want to be treated. I try to do to others as I would have them do to me. I try to keep the commandments. I try to be nice to everybody. All kinds of things like that. Those sorts of things that we think are good behavior that God would account as okay. That's acceptable. And Jesus met a fellow who could say back to him, you know, I've kept all those commandments from my youth up. And Jesus didn't argue with him at all about that. He just said, your heart's still not right. Let me tell you what you can do. And, of course, it broke the man's heart because he loved his possessions more than he loved God. We would make it a matter of human merit. We would never come up with gospel on our own. That's why it's called a mystery, a mystery, a mysterion, an open secret, something unknown and unknowable apart from revelation. And though it's an open secret and could be known, it isn't known because it's not what we would come up with. You would naturally say, Well, God must be offended by my behavior, but God loves me so much, yet God is just. He has to deal with my sins. God probably sent his son. You'd never come up with that. You'd never believe that God paid the price for our redemption, but he did. It is the glorious good news that it is by grace. God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Uh, not because of anything we've done, but because of His purpose and grace. The purpose of God. Now, I I really can't explain the mind of God sufficiently. I can't do those things that will tell you without doubt that This is what God was thinking or this is the way it is. But I can tell you what the Bible says about it. The Bible tells us that God called us into being as an act of love and he made us complete and perfect until we chose to sin against him. And I'm not a sinner because Adam's my great, 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 great grandpappy. I'm a sinner because I've chosen to sin. I've rebelled against God and that sin has has separated me from God. This word grace becomes the trigger word that moves Paul's mind and thinking from this point forward. This grace was given in Christ before the beginning of time. That is, God had it in his mind all along. He knows everything, and in the foreknowledge of God, he knew that I would sin and that I would be helpless without his help. And so he sent a savior and uh, one to convict so that I might come to know God. This grace is a remarkable kind of grace. And then he transitions to the unveiling of this grace. This grace is unveiled in Jesus Christ. This morning in our Sunday school class, uh, my teacher, Bud Smith, taught us some about this from the New Testament. We never did find Job over there, but we thought he made references that would do that. And, and we came to this point, that God in Christ was reconciling himself, us to himself. God was redeeming us out of the slave market of sin. God was working in our lives because Christ's grace came into our lives. God's Holy Spirit spoke to us about our sin and convicted us and moved upon us, inviting us to change. What has Jesus done? Well, in this passage, he says Jesus has destroyed death. Is that accurate? Is that really right? Has he destroyed death? That's what the King James says. The verb is katergeo, and it has various renderings. God didn't take death away. You and I still know the experience of seeing loved ones die, of staying through that dark night in a room with someone who is ebbing away from us. I can remember going to the bank, and each week the tellers would ask me, one of them would ask me, How is your daughter? And finally, I had to say to the one who asked me that day, she's dying. She was dying. Death is still real. Death has not been taken away. It's not been destroyed. The impact of death is still real, and it leaves a hole in our hearts. But what this verb really does not say, it doesn't say he has abolished death. It says he has rendered death ineffective so that we can sing the victorious songs that our choir sang this morning, so we can give that shout that says, Hallelujah, He is alive. Christ Jesus reigns forevermore. He brought life and immortality to light when He rendered death ineffective. That beautiful passage that I somehow picture in my mind like this, Paul standing at an open sepulcher, and peering inside and shouting, Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? They are gone. Jesus Christ has transformed them. For the Christian, he has rendered those things ineffective. Now, death still brings pain, still brings sorrow. And that's the point where we recognize, we realize that this, our loved one, who was so much of our lives, and enhanced our identities in remarkable fashion is now no more going to walk with us here on earth. We're not going to enter into fellowship together down here in this life. But what we do know is that we shall all be changed. We shall be transformed. We shall be with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I attended a funeral service here for one of our members of the hispanic congregation when chasin was the pastor and he said something that rang strongly to me he spoke the sermon first in english and then in spanish part by part but he talked about this person and he said now don't say poor and i don't remember his name he said don't say poor him say poor us He's already at the party. He already knows what it is to be with Christ. He is absent from the body, but he is present with the Lord. We are assured of that, and gives us that it gives us that glorious victory. Paul says, "That's why I'm in chains. Uh, I'm in chains because of this gospel message, and I have to tell it. I can't sit on it, keep it to myself." Paul felt like those those. Uh, Israelites who had leprosy, who had gone to the camp after God had already disrupted it, the people who were surrounding the city and were challenging them and were about to destroy them had kept them from getting any food to the camp. They went down into this camp because they said, you know, we're sitting here dying. If we go inside, they'll they'll kill us or hurt us because we're leprous. If we go to the camp... What What'll they do, they might take mercy. And so they went down there, and they found that during the night God had moved the camp away, that he had frightened them, and they were killing each other as they ran, thinking that they had been attacked from outside, and they found that camp there full of food and all kinds of booty, and they ate until they could eat no more. And then they gathered up the things that they wanted to gather and take back because They wanted to hide them and save them for themselves. And then they sat down to rest a minute, and one of them said, You know, here we sit. We sit here, we have been blessed. God has graced us and given us food. If we don't go inside and tell our countrymen about this, if we wait until evening, some awful thing will befall us. It seems to me that's such a perfect parallel of the gospel message, sharing the good news that you have received. Do we sit on that? Do we say, I'll just try to live a good life? They'll see my good life, and they'll know that God must love us. They'll know that he must have sent his son to die for us. Nobody's going to come to that. They'll see any mistake you make, and they'll say, and that one claims to be a Christian. No, if we don't tell it, we deserve whatever evil befalls us. We can't, uh, this sounds like a kind of crude expression, but we can't sit on the gospel. We have to share the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying here. I'm in chains, but I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. Now, I, I learned that song, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. The new writers have changed it and messed it up a little bit, but not bad. He he knows what I've committed unto him, and I know that he's able to take care of it and keep it against that day. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth again shall stand. I know that I have been redeemed. I know that he is Lord, that he is in charge, and I must tell it. It is my job it is my privilege it is my joy to tell it you and I have to share it so my question to you is have you received this Christ as Lord of your life have you had the courage to take a stand for him by sharing before people the fact that you've received him as Lord and Savior we always do that here at this church we invite you to come and by your coming you'll be saying I'm not ashamed of Jesus He's worthy to be Lord of my life. I want him to be my Savior, to redeem me. And and after you've done that, you have then the next commission to link your life with a faith family, to follow Christ in baptism, to tell him, to tell all the world, Jesus Christ is my Savior, my Lord. The question is, If you haven't done it, will you do it today? And will you follow the leading of Christ? Perhaps he's inviting you to come and link your life with his faith family. Join with us in fellowship and worship and outreach to others to be a part of what God would have you do here. Whatever it is that God would have you do, we certainly want you to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you, dear God, for Jesus. We pray in his holy name that your will may be done in each one of us this day. We pray you'll take the words of our music, the words of this messenger, and the word that's read and speak to the hearts of those who hear. We pray that you'll bring to them the gospel message and bring them to your altar. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit Ambrose Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.